Heavenly Father, I thank you that we uh, can look into your word, that we can be nourished by it, that we can be challenged by it, that we can be built up by it. Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak through uh, my words, through, your, through the text, um, speak directly to our hearts and minds, cause us to be changed. Lord God, we want to be more like Jesus, uh, not more like whatever we fancy. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us into all truth, just as Jesus promised. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excellent. Um, so I don't know whether you've realised this, but as far as I can calculate, this is now the ninth Sunday we've gone uh, without meeting physically in the barn church. Do you remember the barn church? You know, that sort of building the other side of um, Bewbush. Uh, and uh, it's been nine Sundays. Uh, we've now had like different attempts at sort of virtual meetings. And uh, I wonder how you've coped with that. Um, wonder how you feel about it. Um, I've certainly seen different responses from where I sat and uh, have sort of been operating. Um, it's been great. Some of you um, have found yourselves a little less busy, perhaps a, a little less commuting, uh, a little less um, work. Um, and uh, it's been really good. So some of you have discovered Zoom and that, you know, you've started to engage um, with Sundays and you've been around for uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays when we've done our sort of discipleship groups and when we've done our prayer meetings and uh, we've done other cunning things like uh, the quiz um, and I've just been really encouraged and chuffed that uh, some of you have sort of used this time to sort of really press in to sort of church uh, uh, together and online. Others of you, um, for whatever reason, things like homeschooling and the challenges of working from home, you know, you've, you've barely made uh, to make an appearance even on Sunday. Um, but we've, uh, uh, it's been good that you've been able to even just make one meeting a week. Um, so that's, uh, that's good. And others, um, they've vanished off the face of the earth. You know, we, we don't uh, see or hear from them at all. Uh, I think um, whether they can't get onto Zoom, whether they don't have the internet, uh, whether uh, just routine has gone out the window, and um, it's just um, in interesting and fascinating to watch people deal differently with this significant change. Um, and uh, part of the reason or part of the cause of these different reactions has been we have uh, these emotions and we have our values and the opportunities afforded to us. And these cause us to respond differently. Um, so uh, the whatever's whether if we're feeling high, we might feel more inclined to engage a church. If we're feeling low, we might sort of uh, recede from it. Um, if uh, the children have been really good, uh, uh, we might look forward to it. Otherwise, we might sort of step back. If we've got the internet and laptops and that, we can sometimes have the opportunity to engage and other times we don't. If you were listening to last Sunday, um, you should remember, hopefully, um, that we dealt with uh, the Holy Spirit making clear that the Gentiles were to be incorporated into church. Um, there was uh, this um, big move by the Holy Spirit to make sure that Jesus' church wasn't just um, the 
the Jews, whether they were Greek speakers or Aramaic speakers, and that these uh, Gentiles were to be included. Um, and so we had this centurion, this leader of men. Uh, Polynaeus uh, gave us this great description of how uh, sound of mind a centurion was to be. And, and Luke tells us how Cornelius uh, became uh, a Christian and welcomed by the Holy Spirit into uh, the body of Christ. Um, and this inclusion of Cornelius and the, uh, uh, there was like a domino effect of lots of other uh, uh, Gentiles became Christians too. Um, this was a massive change. The Jews were used to worshipping with fellow Jews that shared common values uh, and common morality and common practices. Um, they were steeped in Old Testament procedures and uh, uh, were well acquainted with the different rules and regulations that were supposed to govern their lives. And then suddenly uh, these Gentiles came in and it kind of rocked the boat and it was a significant change and people dealt with it in different ways. Um, and it's fascinating to go through the different books of the New Testament and find this issue being wrestled with and uh, uh, looked at how do we deal with this inclusion of these Gentile Christians. And uh, so this morning we're going to continue our journey through Acts. Hopefully you've been reading with me uh, uh, through our sort of Elam Bubush Bible plan, going through the book of Acts in 49 days leading up to Pentecost. Um, and... Uh, we're going to look at how these Jewish Christians worked on this issue of including Gentiles um, in this redefinition or, or change in what it means to be part of God's chosen people. So if you have a Bible, let me encourage you, turn to Acts chapter 15. Um, it may have been sort of nine weeks since you've looked at it, but I encourage you, uh, uh, find your Bible, dust it off or uh, uh, open the app and uh, have a look. So it just says this in Acts chapter 15 verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch. Um, in our sort of geography we'd say well they would be going up but um, uh, we find some men came uh, down from Judea to Antioch and uh, they were teaching the brothers um, this. I wonder if you can uh, what you make of this teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Mo Moses, you cannot be saved. I wonder how that sits with you, that teaching um, that these uh, men from Judea bring to Antioch. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. We're just going to read a couple of verses there. Um, so Antioch, if you didn't know, and, and some of you great historians are probably well acquainted with this, uh, Antioch was the third largest city of the Roman Empire. So this is a significant place. You know, this is a, uh, a thriving, bustling city of uh, sort of Roman culture and Roman privilege. Uh, it was the birthplace, if you remember, of one of those uh, men that uh, we often know as deacons, those chosen seven who are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Um, and if you remember, it's also probably the birthplace of Luke. So uh, uh, Luke has this uh, great affection for Antioch and, and, and it's not just important uh, uh, internationally, but it's important to Luke uh, personally. 
and um, so we are uh, told of this city again being significant in the story of the church um, and so we find men traveling north from Judea down south um, and they travel north to uh, Antioch um, and there there is a Christian church there are believers that love Jesus and they're predominantly made up of Gentiles it looks like um, now these Jews from Judea um, come to this diverse metropolitan area this uh, stronghold of Gentile Christians um, and they say a very clear teaching they say the rules of the Old Testament are still pertinent these stipulations particularly in Leviticus are something that are still of a going concern they are something that uh, Christians uh, should be aware of um, and they preach that unless these Gentiles essentially become Jews that unless these uh, Gentiles get circumcised that unless the foreskin is cut unless uh, uh, they properly identify with the, the Jewish people they cannot be saved they say salvation isn't possible without these Jewish uh, practices the Messiah Jesus is a continuation of what they already know and uh, Luke and I'm sure it's a euphemism this is sharp disagreement uh, uh, but you can easily imagine it being a lot more powerful than just a, a quiet discussion um, Paul is someone that likes to speak his mind. He is a passionate guy. He knows his Bible well. He knows what the Spirit has done. Um, and it seems that he is profoundly upset by these men from Judea who are saying to them that the Old Testament cultic practices of sort of sacrifice and everything else are something that are still important if you are to be a believer. I just want to read you this. Um, so if you remember that teaching from Judea about you, uh, from these men of Judea, that uh, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Now listen to uh, these words that Paul writes uh, to the Christians in Ephesus, just to uh, uh, reinforce how Paul feels about it. Um, and it says this in, in verse four of Ephesians chapter two. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It doesn't say it's by works you are saved. It doesn't by circumcision you are saved. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So we find words of love, grace and kindness. And this doesn't seem to be the message from the guys from Judea. And it goes on. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. So love, grace, kindness, gift. These are the words associated with salvation now. Um, and it goes on. Not by works, so no one can boast. And circumcision uh, was a work. For we are God's workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that ending about sort of Christian destiny. God has got works for each of us to do. You know, we're not just sort of randomly mulling about life, waiting for death. He has put aside things that we are uniquely qualified to do. So that is what Paul thinks about salvation. That is what Paul thinks uh, uh, means is the means by which we inherit eternal life. Kindness, grace, love, gift of God. Nothing to do with circumcision at all. Nothing to do with the works uh, uh, prescribed by the Old Testament. And it's an interesting bit. Rather than simply adopt it or reject it, these Christians in Antioch have a very interesting response. What they do, they decide to send Paul and Barnabas and a few others uh, to the headquarters, the church HQ in Jerusalem so they send them down south um, on our maps um, and there is this humility you know well, we're not going to just make a call uh, um, so we're not just going to uh, uh, off the cuff make a call uh, but we're going to consult our leaders and there's also I think in here the idea of community we are making a decision on something that involves all the Christians everywhere. You know, this is this is not something that we treat lightly. We're, how we respond to this is going to have ramifications for the entire church. And so there's this great sense of humility and community, which I uh, really appreciate uh, coming across in the An Antioch church. Um, so um, they want the input of the experienced leaders. You know, they're the ones... Uh, that were sort of the eyewitnesses to Jesus's resurrection. They're the ones that have governed church and fought off heresy over the years already. Um, and it would be good if there's a collective uh, response to what is going on. I just want to pause there and I wonder, are we good at recognising this in Elin Bubush? Um, I wonder if we're aware that we are part of a, a bigger movement that Elin Bubush is not a self-contained entity, that we're part of something called the Elin denomination, that uh, uh, the, uh, the features and organisation of Elin Church Bubush is not something uh, uh, purely uh, come up with locally, but there is a wider governing body that we honour and uh, respect. I wonder if you even know anything about Elin. Or whether Elim's just a word you kind of mispronounce or your friends mispronounce. Are you aware of this wider group that we are part of? And, and this um, uh, there's the issue of sort of uh, authority and responsibility. Um, I find it interesting that we've looked at this passage um, because today um, there is now a promotion being encouraged that the Elim Leadership Summit that me and Pete were supposed to go to Harrogate uh, to um, represent Elim Church Bubush in the sort of uh, conference um, of pastors. Um, that's now online. And on Tuesday and Wednesday this week, this Elim Leadership Summit will be broadcast live on YouTube. This thing that was the preserve of Elim's uh, um, pastors and elders is now being publicised uh, uh, nationally on YouTube so that everyone can enjoy it. And 
this kind of ties in with this church in Antioch. Church in Antioch honours Jerusalem and goes to them and seeks advice. And the Elim movement is uh, now uh, inviting us to join in in a summit that's going to be sort of broadcast live over the internet and saying, uh, recognise the fact that you are part of a wider movement. Um, and so it's this end that we are going to uh, uh, cancel our discipleship group and our prayer meeting this week. And we are going to encourage each of you to subscribe to the Elam Pentecostal Church's YouTube site and uh, to subscribe to the feed and enjoy world-class uh, teachers, leaders, worship, um, on sort of Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, homeschooling and homeworking and everything else might get in the way of some of the meetings, but um, I'm really praying that um, we have that sort of Antioch understanding of leadership and authority, and that just as uh, Elim help us in so many ways, they uh, give us speakers, they look after auditing our uh, accounts, they have some awesome insurance deals that we have been blessed with over the years. Uh, just as they benefited us, there is a um, there is a need to honour what they do. So I'm encouraging us all to take lessons from Antioch and uh, Tuesday and Wednesday to engage with this Elam Leadership Summit online. You know, it's not what uh, we love. We love to meet physically. There is something powerful in that. But in the absence of that, uh, um, there is an encouragement. Join in. Find out uh, what Elim is about. I wonder if you know, uh, we have a general superintendent that was voted in. His name's Chris Cartwright and he's going to be speaking. And I just encourage you to have a look at what he has to say um, and what his values are and the direction that he's going. Um, we're going to have a little uh, intro video as well in the Zoom conference later on, so you can get a better idea of what to do. Okay, let's go to uh, verse 6 in Acts chapter 15. We're going to continue this uh, uh, work. Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 16. No, verse 6. So this is in Jerusalem now, you know, Paul and Barnabas have gone out there to sort of discuss these men from Judea and their strange teaching about circumcision. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he had accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just they are. And there's that word grace, isn't there, um, that should excite us. Uh, and then he goes on. Uh, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul. Uh, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So this is the sort of uh, the council of Jerusalem and how um, they're sort of given the information of what is going on and what they're going to do with these Gentiles coming in. How are they going to respond to them? Um, and so they have this uh, church HQ uh, meeting, uh, meeting and there's the gathering of all the significant leaders. So we, we, we got the, a familiar 
faces and names, but other ones that probably held great authority and responsibility in the church that uh, are not preserved uh, in our annals of history. And they're there to make this decision. What are we going to do about the Gentiles? What are we going to do about people who come to faith um, and the stipulations of the Old Testament? What is the Old Testament's relevance to Christians today? And it's, I can't tell you how important this decision is. Um, the Jesus's teachings could be uh, embraced at face value. This one of I'm the fulfillment of the law. You know, uh, uh, suddenly it's a new start. Jesus's new kingdom is coming in, or it could be reinterpreted. You know, Jesus is a Jew. Jesus is uh, the Messiah. Jesus is someone that just sort of perpetuates this Old Testament perspective. The Gentiles could be included as they are, or they could be made to cut themselves to be included in. And we could find that the church fracture as people argue over these different points and fail to respect one another. Or there could be uh, them uniting and saying, yeah, we all agree from uh, uh, what is said. Now, I find it really fascinating. In this council of uh, Jerusalem, Paul is not the head honcho. You know, we have learned to love him and embrace him and find his words of truth about uh, theology as incredibly important. But he is not in charge here. He doesn't even have a significant voice. They let him share something, but he is no more than a witness. Um, and so he says uh, uh, something of what was going on, but he is a bit part player. Um, and uh, we find that there's these sharp disputes uh, uh, again that were found in Antioch. Now there's much discussion and uh, there different people marshal the arguments from different perspectives. You know, scriptures used to uh, back both uh, the uh, inclusive idea and the exclusive idea. The idea that uh, the Gentiles should become Jews to the idea that Gentiles can remain Gentiles and God accepts them because of his grace, not because of what they do. And so there is this uh, um, environment of discussion, of learning, of mutual respect. And then Peter stands up. He is the kind of in charge of the apostles. He's the one that spoke at Pentecost. Um, but he is not in charge at this council. You know, he's a significant voice. He has heard his theological reflections are given room and weight, but he is not the decisive voice either. And he says, you know, I was there with Cornelius. I saw God bless them, despite the fact uh, um, they weren't circumcised. I saw the Holy Spirit come on them and saw them speak. Peter may have got a mixed record with regard to denying Jesus and the mountaintop experience and this, that and the other. But he is on point here. His theology is sound and him and Paul are uh, um, sort of in agreement. And he says, you know what? The spirit baptised Cornelius right then and there. That makes him in. You can't change that. Um, and as Peter, as Peter speaks out, um, I'm guessing that he remembers perhaps some teaching of Jesus. I just want to read this to you. There was this word of uh, uh, Peter saying, let's not yoke these Gentile believers. It was something that even we couldn't bear. Have a look at Matthew chapter 11. It says this. You know, as, as these people from Judea are promoting 
that the, the Christians adopt Jewish uh, ritual. Um, and then he says this in uh, Matthew chapter 11. Perhaps I think this is in Peter's mind when he speaks. Um, it says verse 27 of Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is speaking. All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And then these beautiful words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about people that are exhausted by all the stipulations of the temple, of the Pharisees, of the Sadducees, of the scribes. They're exhausted by all of these stipulations and this worry and concern. Am I going to get saved? And Jesus says, come to me. I'm going to give you rest from all of that take my yoke upon you and learn from me I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light Peter remembers that Jesus said that the yoke he was bringing was light and easy it was not all the Jewish laws it was grace and mercy. It was gifts and love. And Peter here just comes to the fore. He's just excellent at sort of promoting this beautiful gospel. In the face of these men from Judea who still want to hold on to uh, the religion of their forefathers. And all the practices uh, they um, endured therein. Um, and so Peter says, don't undo the work of Jesus. And that's quite an accusation, isn't it? Don't undo the work of Jesus. And it's easy to see, isn't it? Uh, the apostles' words are really compelling. That These are things that they really need to think about. That the, uh, It's not just a case of continuing Judaism. And uh, he, he speaks simply and truthfully. And I really enjoy that. Um, and uh, interestingly, this is Peter's last appearance in the book of Acts. He presents the gospel in this way. He goes, remember my Jesus. Remember what he loved, what he valued. Remember that Cornelius is in because of grace, not because of skin cutting and ritual sacrifice. The, the history of uh, the church moves onwards and upwards. And, and, and Peter uh, no longer contributes in this story. But Peter's last words in Acts are this. But do you notice that Peter isn't in charge of this church uh, council either. Paul and Bar Paul and Peter, both very important Christians, uh, make massive contributions, but they are not the ones that carry the argument. Who will carry the argument? Read uh, with me, James chapter one. James chapter one, verse 19, and it says this. My dear brothers, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Wouldn't you like to know someone like that? Um, as these words are written, you're like, oh, that does sound good. I wish I could be a little bit more like that. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent the evil is prevalent even in our day get rid of it humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and that is the gospel of Jesus, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this. I always uh, brings you down to the ground with a bump. Look after the orphans and widows. That is what religion is uh, um, as pure and faultless. Look after them in their distress and to keep oneself being polluted by the world. Be morally pure and look after those in distress. That is what authentic faith looks like. It is really difficult to read the, the book of James and not be impressed by the guy that wrote it. Um, he has a passion for the gospel and there's this incredible earthiness. This There's a knowledge of scripture, but there is this understanding that it needs to change people, that people are to behave differently after they've received Jesus. Um, he exposes the ambitious, he exposes the flaky, he exposes the immoral, and he exposes the greedy. He says, you're all hypocrites. You don't have a genuine faith. If you are exploiting your workers, you don't have a genuine faith. If you promote the rich over the poor, you don't have an authentic faith. If you aren't looking after those in distress, you haven't got an authentic faith. If you aren't morally pure, you don't have an authentic faith. And that is a massive challenge. As a teenager, I would revisit James again and again. There was something, uh, at least when I was a teenager, you know, we sort of, uh, this system's rotten and it needs to come down and the sort of uh, uh, anarchist perspective or everything needs to change, you know, uh, uh, the poor and destitute are treated badly and just the rich get richer. Um, and you read this and, and you find him, uh, this um, sort of uh, a revolutionary who just looks at the world and says it's a mess and the people in charge are just making terrible decisions and there's all this religious bigotry where uh, uh, pastors or um, other people in charge um, are just hypocrites they're not doing what they say they're saying one thing on Sundays and then behaving a different way Monday to Saturday uh, there is this moral tepidness so I don't know uh, if you um, have ever experienced it but you love Jesus loads and then it sort of dilutes over the week and uh, can dilute over the months. And, oh, you know, Jesus isn't too bothered about this. Jesus uh, uh, knows why I'm up to this. And then you read James, you go, oh, you know, he, that's not good. I have fallen into something uh, that James would just be outraged at. And these vested interests, these ideas of lining your own pockets. It is James whose voice resonates in this council of Jerusalem. It is his voice that carries weight. He is the heavyweight in the room that everyone listens to. Listen to when James steps forth. Acts chapter 15. It says this. Acts chapter 15, verse 13. James spoke up. This brother of Jesus. This church leader. The writer of of 
uh, Kev the Teenager's favourite book. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophet Amos, that's who he's talking about, are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. And then James says this, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling to them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. James, heavyweight in the room, he endorses Peter. He says, Pete, you got it right this time. And you see, he says, Pete sort of swell, get some recognition. You know, he hasn't got this one wrong. Um, and uh, it's, uh, you can imagine sort of a smile creep over Peter's face. Um, and as James speaks, there's all sorts of things that the, uh, the Jewish listeners would uh, uh, have enjoyed. Um, but there is this one moment sort of in the Old Testament when Moses is speaking. He says, you know, the, um, the, the uh, Jews uh, or the Israelites are taken from the world to contrast with the godly. And there is this almost uh, um, antagonistic sense of these two people are vying uh, for attention. But, um, but Luke tells us that James does things differently. He says the Israelites... Um, were chosen from the Gentiles to help them. That this division between God's people and not God's people was to help not God's people find God. James gives us this idea and rephrases uh, people's perspective. It is not believers against the world, but believers are chosen from the world, from the wider population, to declare the glory of God. They are to be light. They are to be salt. This is exactly what Jesus declared. And so James rephrases and says it's not the Israelites are so holy and separate, but it's these Israelites were selected to shine a light to the world that God is good and for them. And suddenly uh, the idea of what it means to be Christian, what it means to be church, is changed and rephrased by uh, James as he says, no, we're light and salt to this world. We're to declare God's glory, our lives, our conduct, our morality. Is supposed to be a light that draws other people to him. It's not us against them. As we inhabit this post-Christian society that laughs at a lot of our morality, James's words should be a great help. We're not there just to tell them off and tell them we got it wrong and feel superior. We're there to be salt and light. As uh, people search in the 21st century down in lockdown, what does it mean to be human what does it mean to be alive uh, all the old networks I've got have fallen how am I supposed to exist and the church goes look we are a community and you know what even if we can't meet physically we'll meet online and that is why 
I've seen a sort of a newspaper article um, uh, that says how many non-Christians have plugged into online church services because uh, questions arise that their spirituality, that their uh, religion, that their atheism does not answer. We are light to them. And this is what James says. And then James comes up with these four commands. I wonder how you felt about them. He says these are the four things that Christians sh should do in Jerusalem and beyond. All Christians, whether Gentile or Jew. Um, one of them deals with sexual immorality, um, which is slightly awkward in the 21st century. But it says um, that the Gentiles aren't to look to their society and their culture uh, for how to behave um, with regard to sexual activity. Uh, they are to take their cue from uh, sort of scripture, from the word of God, from the words of Jesus. Um, people often wonder why, don't they? Why Christians get so worked up about people's private lives. What has it got to do with you? What I do uh, with my private parts in private. Just get out of my face. Um, but the truth is, our sexual behaviour reflects what we think about God, what we think about his word, what we think about truth and what we think about our bodies. If any of these are less than what God says, we are in rebellion. We are uh, mis, uh, uh, mi uh, we misunderstand him. We don't know. We don't think that he's got our best for us at heart. And uh, sexual behaviour just seems to be a way of uh, of demonstrating uh, whether we really believe what we believe. Sexual activity outside marriage is like exploitation in the book of James. It's like deceit and lying. It demonstrates a disregard for holiness, a disregard for God, a disregard for the way things are supposed to be. And... Um, so that is why, and it's so important that James mentions it as one of his four rules. And then the other three are really mysterious. Because if you know your Bibles, you'll know that Paul says that don't worry about food sacrificed to idols. It's no skin off your nose. Tuck in, guys, if it doesn't offend anyone else. But James mentions these three things about blood, about sort of uh, animals, uh, sacrificed to idols and strangled because he wants Jews and Gentiles to eat together. That is why he does it. It's not a law as in you will not be saved if you do these things. It is a case of Jews and Gentiles. You need to be able to hang out together in church. And Gentiles, if you're Jewish conscientious, then you're going to have to do these things. And if you do these things, the Jewish Christian can hang with the Gentile. If the Jewish Gentile Christians eat wisely with a love for their Jewish brothers in their minds, they can feast with their Jewish brothers uh, with a, a degree of joy. Um, considering all these different ideas flying around, all this worry about Jew, uh, the Jewish heritage, the Old Testament, the practices of sacrifice, these new Gentiles that have come from every possible imag uh, imaginable background. 
James kind of brings it all together and he gives it a way forward. You know, the, the gospel of grace, it's still uh, intact. You know, they're not saved by any of these things, but these things help the church move forward. Um, and there is this recognition that there are Jewish Christians out there that still have uh, this tie to their Old Testament past. And I want you to uh, read with me uh, how it all ends. You know, uh, councils and discussions may sound very boring, but Luke includes it very deliberately in his book. Turn to Acts chapter 15, verse 30. The men sent, were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. This is the letter that was written in the wake of James's pronouncement. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. I love that. There's a council, there's a meeting, there's discussion, there's debate, a letter, an edict comes out for it. And rather than getting bored by it or ticked off of the bureaucracy, the Christians are like, oh, we thank you that you care about us, that you have sought to uh, hammer out this issue between you, that you have asked the Holy Spirit to uh, make a decision about how we should proceed. James' words are uh, agreed upon by everyone at the council um, and the church at Antioch is built up by the result of it. Um, and all these different personalities, so Paul and Barnabas and Peter and uh, James, they all come together to make this decision. And uh, the gospel of grace is uh, kept intact. And also this problem of Jewish and Gentile believers, suddenly they get together, they can meet and enjoy each other's company because uh, they are looking out for one another it's not just Jew Gentiles you've got to forget your past you we honor that and you know what we're going to change how we behave to include you and do you notice there's no miraculous voice from heaven at the council there's no miraculous event no angel there's just honest authentic Christians debating and discerning God's purposes for God's people the Holy Spirit is already in them and they trust him so that when they talk together as iron sharpens iron, that they can come up with a good and godly decision. God seems to give them his spirit and say, yeah, you have got all you need to accomplish uh, the purpose in this respect. As I come to the end, I want you to marvel with me at the spirit's achievement. All these different voices and arguments and perspectives, they come together and in the end the result is to build the church. And it is a, a beautiful thing. Wise minds and hearts come together to bring peace and hope. And so this week I'm encouraging us all um, that attentiveness to the faith, reason, Scriptural knowledge, spiritual insight and discernment are consequences of the spirit in our hearts. It's not just all about ecstatic speak, speaking, speaking in tongues and prophecy. It's about making wise and clear theological uh, decisions about having a good perspective on God, what God is like and what he cares about and what his church is about.
It is about uh, being calm and trusting that God's spirit in us will allow us to come to a satisfactory uh, um, end. The world at large seems to alternate between irate rage at everything that is going on to a depressed resignation. And they uh, change in my uh, Facebook feeds and uh, various other um, uh, social media. They go outrage to resignation and depression. But we have Jesus' spirit in us. He is a breath of fresh air. He is the uh, light yoke he is the voice of truth he is the light to our paths and i don't think anyone better sums it up than james and this is uh says this in james chapter one um says this in james chapter one verse five this is the guy that carried the argument the guy that was the heavyweight in the room the guy that everyone else listened to and if everyone there if paul and peter conceded his authority then perhaps we can listen to him too if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask god who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him but when he asks he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all he does. James doesn't mince his words. James says, ask for wisdom and it will be given. And trust that the Spirit will bring it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for this council at Jerusalem. You know, we are so used to seeing debates as dry and boring. But Lord God, we find in this your grace permeating it all. Lord God, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're in the hearts and minds of those that made decisions. I thank you that what James said, uh, uh, balance between this gospel of grace and this recognition of love between Gentiles and Jews. Lord God, I pray that we would be familiar with this spirit of wisdom, that we would be familiar with a spirit that helps us make good decisions. That we would be familiar with a spirit that allows us to be loving towards one another and not just seek our own rights. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would know the same spirit that James so obviously does. Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.